You're listening to Behind the Clipboard. Event experts empowering you to throw killer events for your business, workplace, social circle and beyond. We're giving you the insider toolkit, allowing you to make your events the talk of the town. Produced by Known Associates Events, it's time to go backstage with your hosts, Tamara Cook, Crystal Thane and Melissa Howie. So, Anya, welcome into the green room, behind the clipboard green room. Thank you. Privileged to have you here today. I've known Anya for about, oh, I don't know, 15 years? Plus, yes. Probably. Long, long time. Um, For most of that time, Anya was a group sales and business development manager for the Frasers Group. We did myriad events together. It was the most fun. You were such a wonderful person to work with and I can't wait to hear what's next for you so we can get back together and do more exciting things together. Excellent. (laughs) Can you tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, that gorgeous fluff ball of (laughs) cuteness that's sitting on your lap right now? Also known as a dog. <laughs> just, just so <laughs> I can clarify that. Right. Uh, a bit about me. Um, I fell into events and functions probably like most of us do from years gone by because there was no such thing as a, a course to do back then. So I did what I would call my university of life and um, started off, um, I used to fence um, competitively. Did what? you? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, um, <laughs> that was really unexpected. I, no, <laughs> no, I represented Australia for six years and did junior worlds, senior worlds, all sorts of things. So in between. Shut the front door. All of us shut like the front door. Yeah. Jaw drop. <laughs> so in between, I needed to uh, fund my way because in those days there was no money around. So um, fell into hospitality, lied to get my first job. Smooth. Um, yep. Told them I'd done um, <laughs> Gerardon uh, cooking and uh, silver service. Never lifted a plate in my life, but <laughs> got the job and um, did um, smatterings of working in restaurants for a while. And then I finished fencing, got into more administration of many companies and uh my parents uh, left Perth, went to Queensland and I followed over and fell into a job at Sheraton in Brisbane and then worked my way up and eventually ended up managing um, Sheraton Brisbane's uh, function side. And then uh, Radisson brought me over to be their operations manager. I came over and worked with them and started on my Perth journey. Great. Wow, <laughs> I think we're all just thinking about the fencing. Oh, no. <laughs> There's a lot of shock. In I'm still on the fencing. Yeah, Sorry. Fencing. So how did you come to be at Fraser's Group? Uh, I was working in Pagoda and I was looking as the food and beverage manager over there and Chris Taylor rang me out the blue and said, you probably don't know who I am. And I was, oh, yes, I do. <laughs> and I uh, had a chat with him and went across and started in Just Fraser's and was running their weddings there. And uh, we were just about to open Blue Water, so I helped with the Blue Water opening and then Indiana's and then Brewery and then Greenhouse and then it was outside catering and it just kept uh, growing. So never a dull day in 15 and a half years. So. It's an exciting place, exciting time to be there, I would say. It was. It was um, very exciting and there was yeah just possibilities and opportunities every which way you went, so... Well, that leads us on to the first question. You were part of the team that built the State Reception Centre at Fraser's to receive royalty. What was the process you went through for this sort of project and how much involvement did you have personally in that? Well, yes, it was um, I literally, 
Oh, we worked for a year, solid. I don't think we had a day off. We knew that uh, we were up for uh, being the the retreat for Chogham. Uh, we didn't know when the announcement was going to be made and this was happening Christmas prior to the announcement. And in fact, I was going off to Queensland uh, to see my father and took files and files with me thinking I was going to have to be making a lot of phone calls from Queensland once it was announced. What other venues were up for? They, they'd gone round and round and round looking at it and they just couldn't find the right um, uh, shape really for the room because it was very specific the way that the seating had to be okay. for all the leaders and um, and then the people uh, actually chairing it. They originally, it got down to looking at the, the roundabout in front of the cafe at Fraser's, they were looking at there and looking at putting up a marquee but it just wasn't going to cut it. So, so it was always going to be Kings Park? That was, uh, they had looked at a number of venues and, and gone backwards and forwards with it, but then it was Kings Park, yeah. Okay. So uh, Julia Gillard came over and made the announcement, I think it was the 6th of January, and um, at 10 o'clock and 10.01 the phone started because <laughs> uh, people were then going, what about my wedding, what about my event? And uh, Julia Gillard's coming to your wedding, how exciting. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, she'll be serving you. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, Look, it was a bit like unravelling an onion and it's the only way I can ever describe it because very naively um, we thought that the build was just going to be on top of Fraser's and um, I'm not an engineer, I've never built a place. And two days after the announcement we sat in the private dining room with 15 engineers and uh, people such like and we then soon discovered that it was going to be a lot larger, the Literally, the ceilings were going to be brought out of the restaurant and the function centres. They're going to rip up the gardens, and this just became um, an unraveling of the um, of the whole puzzle. To be honest, so. so what did happen with all the events that were booked there? Was it still business as usual? Oh no, <laughs> <laughs> um, I imagine not. With there's no roof, <laughs> well, topless uh, wedding. I mean, yes, roofless wedding. Topless wedding. So <laughs> <laughs> yes, a wedding with a difference. Yes. Uh, I'd gone through and done the study on how many weddings there were going to be and thinking, okay, we can make this happen. And very quietly I'd made bookings around town um, with some of our partners to give a a space protection. But uh, then it just wasn't going to cut it. So we had discussions with state government and with Botanic Gardens and that's when we put in the marquee. Uh, next door into Mount Eliza House. And, um, oh, that's right. Mm, so that was a huge amount of money to build this marquee because it had to be of a similar ilk and it had to have views and at that particular juncture it didn't have views because there was a few trees obscuring the views. So that was another interesting conversation with the arborists um, <laughs> to trim the trees. Um, and then when we discovered that there was going to be major impacts downstairs as well, um, there was literally 127 uh, weddings that I had to talk to one on one and try and get them across the board to move to the marquee. I think out of all of them, we lost one one event um, and we were, you know, Gave all their money back. We helped find venues. We'd do anything we could do to get them across the line. Only one that's amazing. That's <coughs> it, testament it was, to your customer it service. Was, oh, um, I tell you, you talk about bridezillas. <laughs> that did not exist. It was uh, groomzillas that year. Oh, really? All the men came to the forefront saying, 
got to protect my um, investment, my wife to be, and her happiness. And um, yes, it was very interesting. And there was um, some uh, very volatile conversations, but you needed personal security for this period of your life. <laughs> there was a couple there, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which brought us to another point. But um, yes, we got them all across the line, and um, and everyone um, had a great time. And we did existing weddings downstairs, which meant uh, draping ceilings, uh, me talking to builders, having to put fairy lights on fencing <laughs> and, um, <laughs> you know, material on the um, pillars that were showing and we had um, shipping containers that had to be covered with material and some of these guys would just look at me thinking, who are you? <laughs> but um, And then it was my job to also be the liaison with the builders on a day-to-day and a weekly basis. So not only with the build, but also we're protecting our events each each day and each each weekend especially. They'd have to go and flatten sand and do all sorts of things. Yeah, wow. Big mm. operation. So once it was built, obviously it was built for Chogham. Can you tell us a little bit about what's involved in doing events for over 54 heads of state, including the likes of Hillary Clinton, what sort of protocols did you have to consider? With Chogham, um, Hillary wasn't at that one. She was at a subsequent meeting, but um, the same principles exist. With uh, Chogham, where it who, was... Who was at Chogham? Name drop. Give us some names. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Is it name drop? <laughs> <laughs> it was at, like every president, every head of state. Of the Commonwealth. Of, of the Commonwealth, yeah. So um, Canada... Um, it wasn't the hot guy. Was it, it wasn't Trudeau. Justin Trudeau nah. at the time. No, no. unfortunately, it wasn't. So. <laughs> Damn it! But um, uh, getting that in line was a matter of dealing with state, federal government. Uh, it was all the layers of um, security from West Australian Police, TRG, um, AFP as well. I'd imagine. Yeah, AFP. Had a blank on it. Every other acronym. And then yep. each country's own security, I bet, as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Everyone's um, – they would bring security down once or twice during the, the project and they would come through and we'd have to walk and talk through with every individual security force that wanted to have um, communication about what was happening and, and what was were that the you? That, that was, was your role? Yep. Yep. Awesome. So Chogham, I was the only spokesperson because it was the only way we kept it consistent – um, because out of that also then you're dealing with um, the media and their own internal issues that they want to deal with. So you needed to comprehend their photo opportunities, how they were moving to and fro. Then you had the motorcades, then you pop up press conferences. Mm. A lot on the go at mm. the one time. Mm. That's right, yeah. With all these high-profile people, did you? how nervous did you get? I was going to say, did you ever get nervous, but... Not really. I just treat them as people, you know. Um, you certainly discover the who's nice and who's not really nice on and off camera very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, yeah, oh, I just treat them as people. Of, any, any stories there? Any yeah. some goss? No, yeah. I couldn't. <laughs> I have to take them to the, my grave. <laughs> Surely they're out of politics by now. <laughs> never. You never, <laughs> never say never. <laughs> Damn it. Mm. So Hillary Clinton wasn't part of Chogham, but was that? A whole nother level of security is, I imagine, America has pretty tight. Well, I used actually out of everyone, uh, America was very tight because we dealt with her through a bilateral 
um, meeting that they had with Australia. I think India secure, Indian security and Canadian security through Chogham was probably the hardest I dealt with, ah. which surprised me. Yeah. Obviously, we then dealt with the Americans over a long period of time before Hillary got here. But they were the nicest people to deal with and really easygoing and very precise about things but quite uh, relaxed in their attitude. I guess they get to do it a lot, but um, but very precise in, in their requirements. I felt that with... I'm just going to call him Eddie. <laughs> <laughs> Eddie's detail, Prince Eddie's mm. detail. He, yeah. they, they were so lovely. I mean, yeah. you, mm. you, you knew when they had their serious face on, but they were very like jovial and made you feel at ease, even though they're sweeping a room with a whole lot of people. But can you Sniffer talk dogs? Us, yeah, <laughs> can you talk us through the sort of the things that they actually do in a room or months before in a venue before um, the delegate or royalty or whoever it is is coming? Depending on the room and what level of discussions are going to happen, but um, some of them are, uh, they, they'll spend a day in there checking the room. Um, other times it'll be just a very, very uh, clean sweep with the dogs and um, with us, the SAS, uh, during Chogham, because um, they had the different layers of what was going to happen and people were stationed in different places. The SAS always told us that if they if we see them, then it was really bad. So. <laughs> I was just going to ask that. Do they have undercover gardeners and stuff like you see in the There's a guy just drops a rake and he's like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> just pulls out his machete. Well, the good thing is during Chogham, we were in actually, they built a compound around us. So oh. a lovely girl that I work with, Emma, um, who uh, I still work with now today, um, she got arrested leaving one <laughs> night because we were inside the compound, but we had the cars outside and we had a special key to get in. And uh, one or the other police hadn't been briefed about it and they had us surrounded and she didn't have her pee plates on a car at the time. Oh, so. No. I've got this phone call at 11.30 at night. Can you come and get me, please? <laughs> oh, no. Well, they had her... Um, detained her. Detained her on, on site. And I went across and explained what was what. So, you know. <laughs> Saucy. So, uh, yeah, it's quite funny. It was one of the funny moments of the day. And then um, at the end of Chogham, they ripped the fences down at one or two o'clock. But then um, the Kenyan Prime Minister... I can't remember which he was. Anyway, he was seeing his people at... He wanted 700 of his best friends across that night. So we uh, then had to... <laughs> that doesn't sound like a Kenyan at all. 700 of his best friends. They're probably half family, right? <laughs> <laughs> Kenyans are just not social people at all. They no, barely yeah. drink. Look at Tam. <laughs> yes. I'm Kenyan. You're Kenyan. And uh, yes, we had, so we had to turn that around and that was an interesting event. So he really had 70, 700 buddies 70. coming over. <laughs> yeah. Then he was there three hours late. Oh, oh, well, that's Kenyan time. It's not a game. <laughs> I discovered that. And after three and a half days with Chogham, we were just we were sitting in the kitchen nearly crying. We Delirious. just wanted to go home. And um, Not loving Kenya. And then his security <laughs> then turned around and say, but we need to get him from A to B and we don't have people, so what are you going to do about it? So I went, oh, okay. So I got all my waiters lined up in a line and uh, we stood with our back to the people and just moved inched back moment by moment so he could uh, get through. <laughs> what? Wow. What, uh, what people? Like a guard yes. of honour? Yeah. So your well, waiters no, so created like security. a security guard. Uh, we became instant security. <laughs> <laughs> from which? Um, Crowd I'm control. He right? wanted Confused. to get to the uh, to the stage from um, his car and all 700 of his friends wanted to, um, you know, be close to him. 
But they didn't have enough security to keep wow. them away. So Anya Tate, head of security, was your title Wait, that night? That was, <laughs> yes. This is awesome. You should write a book. I know. Oh. About the fencing too. Lead with that. <laughs> I was security for, uh, who was it? One of the rappers. Oh. And we had him in one time and he didn't have security and it was, yeah. Snoop Dogg? Jay-Z. I'm trying to give every rapper that's come to Perth. Eminem. Flow Rider. Oh. Oh. <laughs> low, 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 yeah. low, low, low. Do you still have your fencing kit? Is that how you I do, actually. <laughs> oh, oh I do. On guard. There Get you back. go. <laughs> um, so you represented and sold some of Perth's most prestigious events for over 15 years. What was the hardest part of your job, uh, if there was one? I think always trying to stay ahead, doing the next new exciting thing before someone else, you know, thought about it like for us for wedding open days back in the day it was a very structured open day that everyone had and I think we we introduced the first one that was a twilight nights because I thought phrases the beauty is in the evening or the or the mornings I mean it's beautiful all the time but when you're hiring um, that venue for a wedding that is where you're going to be seeing the stunning views of the the nighttime skies so we did that and we, then we introduced food and beverage and all sorts of aspects to the um to the open day and that's just one example. Always stay, trying Staying to stay current. Yeah. yeah, you worked across multiple venues. Did you? I, I personally only dealt with you at Fraser's. Did you? Were you physically located at the other venues much, or just in Kings Park? No, no. I'd go um, when we opened Blue Water. I called it my. Um, I used to have my real estate board that I'd put out the front of Blue Water. I'd go <laughs> across, and we were still building. I'd be in the building site and um, six o'clock at night in a, a formal retreat for uh, people <laughs> that were <laughs> hospital site and uh, I would... Oh, that's right. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. It was a mental hospital, wasn't it? Yeah, I was trying to be polite. Yeah. <laughs> You're allowed to say mental health. Yeah. It's okay. Yes. It's not a dirty word. I know. <laughs> but I'd be across there at five o'clock doing room shows every every night and um, same at Indiana's. I'd do Saturdays at Indiana. She does like a roll around. <laughs> so cute. <laughs> and... Um, uh, yeah, no, I'd go to all the venues all the time. Yeah, right. Good Did question. you have a favourite? I uh, do. Indiana's. Uh, I think when I first came to Perth, um, one of the first uh, restaurants I ever went to was Indiana's on a wintry June night and the the waves were crashing and I fell in love with Indiana's there and then and I've always had a soft spot for it, to be honest. So. Have you been following everything that's happening in the news at the moment? Have you yeah. got an opinion on... No opinion at the moment. Really? I believe it, it, I'll wait and see. Wait and see. I hope uh, they don't change also, it. A lot of the people have been commenting that it should be restored. Yes. And not I agree. built around or knocked down. And it's I agree like, with that it's too. It's a postcard. It's like a typical postcard of Perth is Cottesloe Beach with that beautiful building on it. I'd be surprised if you did anything Modernize other than it. restore it. But yeah. Who knows? Mm. Wait, wait and see. From a venue perspective, what key traits or practices do you like to see in event managers? Who's your dream client? Present company excluded, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> well, took the words right out of my mouth. So. <laughs> um. Look, I think, uh, thinking about this a lot is, I think it's really important that we collaborate and communicate and I think that's the two key words because some event managers will come in and they've got their agenda and they've been very one-eyed about what they want for their client but your greatest uh, value in a venue is the people in the venue because they know it and, and, and then that communication and collaboration of and explaining to people what you want as an outcome as a venue as a um, an event manager is so critical. So yeah, working together 
I think is really, really, really important. And I think sometimes it's easy to lose sight of the fact that when you're booking a venue and it's, you know, you're kind of early on in your events career that actually these people know the venue inside out. If they're Mm. suggesting something, it's not because they don't like what you've said, but have you thought about this? We've had an event here that did this. They're your subject matter experts on that venue. It's it's a rich little bit of layer of history that they can give you on what works and what doesn't work as well. Because they would have seen it all, I bet. Well, you hope so. <laughs> and I think sometimes some of the um, event managers, when they're first starting out, they don't necessarily have operations experience. You know, everything's got to work every which way. Yeah. yeah, that's so true. Another question I thought of on the way in today was I book a lot of stuff at the state reception centre and I book a year in advance and I block them all out. Mm. What's the process behind, I guess, behind the scenes operationally in terms of scheduling? Because I pencil book a lot of things in. What does that mean to someone like you? <laughs> someone like <laughs> me, if uh, you as a valued client, mm. um, we would make sure we come back to you and talk to you and communicate to you. It's, uh, again, that communication that, you know, when I've dealt with Tamara in the past, I'd say, Tam, look, I know that you've you've got this event. Is it really going ahead? What's the percentage factor <laughs> of it going ahead? Yeah. All right, I've got this event coming in. It means X, Y or Z to me. How can we make it a win-win? Mm. So, uh, look, I've asked clients in the past as well to move because I've got an event that may be, you know, a, a, a great deal of revenue. Yeah. And they've gone, okay, we'll do it for you. I imagine that lots of people would come to event venues and be just regular people who are mm-hmm. throwing an event so not event managers does it did it get frustrating for you at all when they didn't know what a run sheet was or the importance of that or is that something that you had to put together for them and make them understand yeah. this has to go after this and I think it's really important that we're always educating people we shouldn't have expectations because it's our job to to walk them through it and give them the reasons why we're doing something and why it's important we discuss this. And I guess I think too my event orders are a lot bigger than some places I've seen as well but it's my operations background is always trying to think for what's on the floor. How you handle it when speeches run over. What do you want to do? Because it's too hard to have that conversation there and then on the minute because you're off doing something. You might be on stage, you might be somewhere else. So I think it's always important to have those conversations earlier mm. and have them written. And, of course, we know that that is um, not set in stone. Mm-hmm. It's just <laughs> the philosophy so we know what and how we're going to handle things. So, yeah. yeah. I've got a bit of a juicy question for you, Anya. Oh, goodness. Oh. What's the most unusual request you've had? Look, I think years ago, and says I with a dog on my lap right now, <laughs> but years ago uh, we had someone want to bring their cat to the private dining room <laughs> to Melissa? be the... Um, it was not me. <laughs> <laughs> and it was part of the bri- the wedding party and uh, salmon was cooked for the cat. I thought you were going to say the cat's name was salmon. Oh, yeah, me too. Without <laughs> it. It was a yes from you. Wow. That's so I mean, cute. That's not in the kitchen, so. No. Yeah. No. Um, that's cool. That's liberal. Oh, look, you know, people will still ask us to move a wall and I go, <laughs> it's really, that's really, it's pretty solidly in there. Yes. Can, can that move back about You're an not inch? Chogham. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who do you think you are? Exactly. <laughs> the question that's on everybody's lips, what is next for Anya Tate? And what are you in fact doing now? The evolution. Life takes you on um, interesting journeys, and uh, yeah, I guess I'm on a on a uh, a journey. Uh, at the moment, I look. I spent th- 
three, four months not doing anything and um, having to reevaluate life generally. Uh, I have picked up a contract with NSWA and I'm working on two really very, very exciting projects, which we will be able to launch soon <laughs> and I will let you know. But um, Brilliant. Yeah, so I'm working with them. I'm freelancing wherever. I'm contracting. I think I'm picking up another contract as we speak. I did uh, look at starting my own events business, but there's too many wonderful people in the marketplace <laughs> already, so I'm not going to compete in that level. Um, I think I'll just uh, see where life takes me, really. Um, YOLO. Mm. Yeah, Sounds like an exciting phase. Yes. Not without its speed bumps and uh, not without a lot of, you know, moments of reflection and but yeah I think it is exciting and it's it's look I've always worked in the not-for-profit or uh, sector right throughout even my time at Fraser's because it's so important for me and uh, I volunteered at MSWA for five or six years so it's interesting where you end up sometimes. That's actually when we first asked you to tell us a bit about yourself we didn't go into that area at all and that's a big that's been a big part of your life and you've been really um, effective in bringing in New campaigns like Chicks That Tick and... Catmandu Kids. Catmandu Kids. For 10 years. So tell us about, yeah, all the different ways that you've thrown yourself into charity projects as a side hustle when you're doing all these... Yeah. Well, again, it's just looking for opportunities and I think everything we do in life, and I know it's a catchphrase, but should be a win-win and... I know, you know, when working with yourselves through Lifeline when uh, the event uh, came up to Fraser's and how we sat down and brainstormed about how we can change it and um, and and make it new and exciting and uh, evolve it. And then from there I started working on Pet Project with uh, Lorna and the team to launch mental health with animals. We fundraised over about 60000 on that. Uh, Chicks That Tick certainly came out of personal experience with myself and two other ladies all around that 40 plus GST age. Um, (laughs) I like that, plus GST. GST. Uh, That all suffered really uh, very surprising heart issues and uh, none of us knew about it and we were were not educated in uh, in heart conditions. I don't like the word disease because it's not always a disease. Sometimes it's mechanical, it's all... All sorts of things. So we really wanted to educate women with heart conditions and how to be aware of ourselves. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Amazing. That was just in your spare time. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, we're all distracted by the puppy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Super cute. She's, she's sitting so here high-fiving. She's giving a high five. <laughs> and we worked with Greg Hire, I guess. I worked with him for a couple of years doing his stitch in time. So That's right. And... Worked with the team with Wirrapunda initially and it's just nice to help and give the venue's perspective um, and help lift them up to a level where they can then look after their event and run with it So, because so many people come in with no knowledge of events and don't have the team in place. So, mm. And I think that's something we could give as a venue and um, it also builds goodwill and relationships. So. Yeah, definitely. Mm. It, was, it says a lot about who you were in that company that you could pretty much take any idea and make it happen. Hmm. Obviously, you're supported by Chris and the team. Oh, Chris Chris was am- is amazing. You know, he always gave us that mandate and he's got uh, 
you know, a very big heart, not that he admit to it, but um, about <laughs> and what he does behind the scenes for uh, philanthropic. Yeah, he's quite quiet about it, isn't mm, he? Very much so. Well, speaking from experience, your extra involvement in events at Fraser's really was what set the venue apart. So, hundred mm. well, percent. Uh, I want to know what's on your information pack about Anya Tate, expert consultant. Do you say um, security <laughs> detail, fencer, <laughs> world champion fencer? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could probably do it better than me, Crystal. What would she? What would you have on her resume? Uh, Anya Tate's resume: uh, world champion fencer, head of security occasionally, mm. dog mum, dog mum, good like kitchen hands. <laughs> Not. Very um, light, very light, <laughs> very light a Giridon person, pretend mm-hmm. Giridon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is a chefy thing, isn't it? Jack of all trades. Yeah. <laughs> so where can people find you, Anya, if we're looking to tap yes. into you? Well, that's really a very good question. Uh, my company name that I have now set up is Imagine Events, there which is E-M, Imagine Events, an Instagram page and a Facebook page. I do not have a website. At the moment, because who needs one? We don't. You don't need websites. Really need Instagram. You're good. Mm. Mm. <laughs> yes. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. No, thank you for so having me. See you next week. Bye. Thanks for tuning in. For your chance to have your questions answered or join our conversation, jump into our Facebook group, Behind the Clipboard Podcast, and follow us on Instagram at Behind the Clipboard Podcast. You thought that was good. Do you want Tamara wants a photo? Yeah, high, five, high five, Simi. High five, Simi. High five, Simi. Of course, she doesn't do it now. Better video Simi. for later because it's not great for podcasting. No. Simi, high five. I, I am videoing. There you go. Here you go. Good girl. <laughs> <laughs> so you want to say something? Woof, woof, woof. Woof. <laughs> 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 she just gave me the biggest death stare. <laughs>